So I'm uh, grateful to be here today. Like Paul said, my name's Jared, and I am an alcoholic and an addict. So my story, and I, I did text Paul at the first of the week and said, now you understand that my story has drug use involved, but I, I am a true alcoholic. Um, the program of AA is a program that I follow, and it is the only thing in my life that ever worked. Um, it's, it's the reason that I'm standing here today and, uh, and not dead, which, which for me, I know that, that had I continued doing what I was doing, I wouldn't be here today, and that, that's just a fact. Um, I'll jump around a little bit, but I'd like to, like to start out with, uh, with the picture I've got here. Um, this is me at my oldest son's wedding, and this is my younger son right here. Um, it should have been like one of the greatest days of my life. And the thing about this picture is, as they were taking this picture, I was crawling in my skin because I just wanted this photo to be over so I could go in the bathroom and shoot up the meth and heroin combo I had in my pocket. Um, and uh, as you get older and as, as you look back on life, you know, our, our life's built with all these memories. Well, pretty much every single memory that I have in my life is tainted by drugs and alcohol. Um, I grew up in St. George, Utah to a super Mormon family. Uh, we went to church every Sunday, whether we were on vacation or not, which that used to just drive me crazy. Like, we're on vacation? What do you mean you're going to find a church for us to go to? This is nuts. But we would. We would find a church and we would go. Um, so that was the way I was raised. I, I never saw drinking or drug use or any of that in my home. Um, I have three younger sisters. They've never had any problems with drugs or alcohol, and, and my parents are still married today. Um, I got involved in the Boy Scouts growing up, and uh, when I was 13, one of the uh, trusted guys that was, was uh, one of the leaders in the, in the Boy Scouts started molesting me. And, uh, and this went on for about a year until it stopped, and I don't really know why it stopped. Maybe he found someone else, but, but it did stop. And uh, I know that, that that broke something inside of me, but, but I also know that that's not the reason that I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. Um, as, as I got into high school, you know, started running around with the people, and, and drinking became a thing. For me, I never really liked alcohol in high school. I was the kid that would try to drink, but almost always threw up. And uh, I just didn't. I wanted to fit in, and I wanted to go to the parties, but alcohol just was not my gig. But um, when, I, when I found marijuana, I was like, yeah, I, re I really like this. Um, I, my senior year at our high school, we had the opportunity to, to, to leave at noon, and we could go work a job. So... I got to leave at noon, and, and I got working for this furniture company with, with older people, and they were all doing cocaine. So my, by my senior year, I developed a cocaine habit, and I was doing cocaine every single day and, uh, and smoking marijuana. Um, like a week before senior year, before we graduated, a bunch of guys came recruiting, and uh, they had this deal in, at ITT Technical College in Salt Lake, and we could leave like the day after graduation, and, and I was like, I am out of this small town, 
can't wait to leave. So the second that I graduated, I moved up to Salt Lake. And uh, once I was in the, in the city, I discovered um, LSD and mushrooms. And, and any time in my life that I find a new substance, I will abuse that substance to the very end of, of you know, as far as I can push it. So I was doing LSD every single day for months. And, uh, and with LSD, you have to double your dose. To, so, I mean, there was, there was one day I remember I did almost a whole sheet of acid. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so that, and that's, that's how I, that's how I use. Um, obviously, I, I didn't do well at ITT and, and flunked out and had to call mom and dad and say, you know, I, I'm getting kicked out of my apartment, cars broke down, I'm having to steal food, can I come home? So they kind of, my dad reluctantly said, you can come back home, and I, I came back home and went right back to work for the furniture company. Um, I was working one day, and a buddy called that I had lived in Salt Lake with, and he said, hey, when you get off work, uh, I want to pick you up, and I got this new drug that we can try. So I was like, all right, yeah, come get me. So he picked me up, and we drove up above town, and, and he pulled out this glassy-looking substance, which was crystal meth. And um, for me, the very first hit I took of crystal meth, I was instantly addicted. I, I blew it out, and I turned to him and said, where do we get more of this? And that night I went and emptied my bank account and, and bought as much as that would, that would buy. So I started doing crystal meth um, through a series of events. I ended up um, moving my way up the, the dealer chain and found out that my uncle was manufacturing crystal meth. And so at 20 years old, I started cooking crystal meth. Um, at like 20 and a half, I was 95 pounds. I looked like a skeleton. And I came home one day and my sisters were crying. They were walking out of the house. And, and my sister was just younger than me, looks at me and says, they found it. And I was like, oh, no. So I walk in and, and I had a waterbed at the time. And, and my parents had found my stash, which at that point was, was two pounds of crystal meth. Um, being Mormon that they were, they didn't know what it was. They just knew it was drugs. And so my mom was like, well, your dad wants to call the cops, but I just want you to get help. So, you know, we, you can either go to rehab or, or your father's going to call the cops. I was like, all right, I'll go to rehab. So I went to my first adult rehab at 20 years old, and it was a 90-day deal. And I, I got in, and that's when I first got introduced to AA and, you know, the rehab system. And I did good. Um, I always do good in rehabs. Like if you take me away from drugs and alcohol, I'm good. But on my own, I've never, ever been able to stop. Um, when people talk about like, well, you know, I, I would not drink for a day or I would not for a week. That's not me. If I'm using and drinking, it's every single day, period. Um, so I, I got out of this rehab and the girl I was dating at the time, um, my parents felt like, I should marry her. That wasn't my plan at all, but my mom actually bought the ring, and so <laughs> I uh, thought, well, all right, well, I guess I'll get married, so we got married. Um, I was still clean when we got married, and uh, we got pregnant with our first son, Quincy, and uh, I started plumbing, and I did really good at plumbing. I picked up on it really quick and, and was was 
doing, you know, like journeyman work within the first year. Um, I got working so much that, that I just couldn't keep up. And so, uh, you know, I knew the answer to that was, was to start using crystal meth again. But I knew I couldn't smoke it anymore because that's what had landed me up in rehab. So I, I started snorting it. Um, so when my wife had Quincy, I was high at the hospital when my son was born. You know, there again, another memory that should have been one of the greatest days of my life. And it was. I mean, I was very excited to have this new little baby. I always wanted to be a dad. Um, I always wanted to be a husband, but, but I was high when he was born. Um, shortly after, she got pregnant with our second son. And uh, the same thing, when Micah was born, I was, I was also high at the hospital when, when he was born. Um, and then over the next 10 years or so, I maintained that, that lifestyle. of uh, I would go to work, and I, and I used daily. Um, I justified it because I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm working, and I would bring home my paycheck. And, and uh, I would do really well at a job for a year or so, and then I would go on a, a binge, and, and I would end up just not showing up to work for a week, and, and I'd get fired, and then I wouldn't work for three or four weeks, and we would run out of money, and, and so my solution was always to move. So as my boys grew up, we, they went to probably 14 different schools because we were constantly moving. You know, dad would screw things up, and, and I had a wife who was just very codependent, and, and so she put up with it, and, and so we would, we would move around. Um, and about, you know, about 10 years into this, she came to me and was like, I've just, I've had enough. You, you can't do this anymore. I'm going to take the kids, and I'm leaving. And... So I, I was like, well, what can I do? And she says, well, you just, you can't do drugs anymore. If, if you know, if, if you get caught doing drugs, they'll take the kids. And I said, well, how about if I just drink? And she was like, well, that's okay. So I started drinking. And uh, at first it was like a six pack a night. And then it turned to a 12, and then 18. And then I was drinking 30 beers every night. And like, if you put 30 cans of Sprite on the table now and said, like, drink that in a night, that's disgusting. Like, that's just, that amount of liquid in a night is just gross. But I did that every night for two years. Um, during that time, uh, you know, I was just kind of a happy drunk. But at some point, that stopped working. So I started drinking vodka. Um, up until then, you know, I'd heard about people blacking out. And I always thought that was just a cop-out, like, that's because you're a piece of crap and you beat your wife and you abuse your kids and you cheat because you don't want to admit that you're just a piece of crap. Well, the, this one night we had a big party and I was drinking and I remember going to bed. The next morning I wake up and she's crying and neither of the kids will even look at me and, and it turns out I blocked out, blacked out and got, got violent. Um, and that started happening fairly consistently. Um, but, but at that point, I couldn't even make it through a night without having a glass of vodka on the, the side of the nightstand. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I'd be shaking so bad that I couldn't go back to sleep unless I, I drank. Um, my boys talk about, you know, do you remember all those years that you would throw up every morning? And that was, that was the way I would start my day. I'd wake up, and I'd throw up violently until 
I could get that out and then I would start drinking. Um, the thing with, with construction is that it, my job always enabled me to use and drink. As long as I could perform at work, it was okay. Like my bosses knew I was a drunk. I showed up for work. I usually had in my tool bags, I usually had a fifth of vodka in one of the things and I would just drink openly at work. And they, they let that, that happen. And, and so for four years, all I did was drink. Um, you know, as, as those years went on, you know, the boys got older. And I was, you know, I was married for 16 years. But, uh, but I wasn't a present father. I just was not present. You know, the, as I think back, like those years just bleed into each other. I can't really, I have a real tough time putting time frames on things like it's just all kind of blurry um i missed out on on many many things you know my my youngest son was kind of this little football star and i always i remember he always wanted me to throw the football with him i never threw the football with my youngest son not ever not once in his whole life you know um i regret that terribly you know today i I regret that but you can't you can't you know i can't go back and fix that I can only move forward, but one night, you know, four years in, I hadn't done drugs. We had a big party, and these guys showed up, and they were using needles, and they had meth, and I hadn't done meth. I was super drunk. Um, I'm, like, I have this thing with needles, like, when I get my blood drawn, I'll pass out. I can't even look at it, so... I, to that point, I had never even considered using a needle. I knew I couldn't do it. But that night, I was drunk enough, and, and I let this kid shoot me up. And the second he shot me up, that was it. I never used drugs any other way. But I couldn't, I knew I still couldn't do it myself. So the kid that was at that party that night, I hired as my apprentice. And so this kid came to work with me for two years. And in two years, he never learned any plumbing, not, not any plumbing in two full years. But he got paid every week, and he just rode around and would shoot me up during the day and, and sit in the truck, and that's what he did. And uh, at some point, we became friends, and he felt like, I can't do this to you anymore. And I said, well, you're fired. Like, I don't know what you thought this was. We're not friends. You're, you, you're, you have a job to do, and if you're not going to do that job, then I don't need you anymore. And, uh, and so I figured it out myself. Um, at that time, I was running drugs from one end of the state to the other end of the state. And one night, I made a run, and I'd been up for a couple weeks, and... Um, the, the run didn't work out the way I thought it was going to, and so I was late coming back, and I had run out of crystal meth, so I had to stop at this little hotel. So I stopped at this little hotel, and I always had a suitcase that I would you know, take with me, and, and I had three pounds of marijuana in the car, and, I, and I, I stopped at this hotel, and I take that suitcase up to go to bed, and I open the suitcase, and there's a fifth of vodka in my suitcase that I didn't know I had packed. So I thought, well, I'll just drink this and go to sleep. So I started drinking, and I, I polished that off. And at that point, I went into a, to meth-induced schizophrenia is what it's called. So I'm, I'm sitting in this room, and, and at the time, A&E had this thing called intervention. I don't know if you all saw that. So 
I was convinced that they were doing intervention on me and that my whole family was in the room next to me and that there was a film crew recording everything that was going on in this room. So I tore the whole room apart. I just tore it apart. And the next morning, I hear these guys next door leaving, and, uh, and I think that's the camera crew, and how dare they record me. So I grabbed my gun out of the suitcase, and I took off down the stairs after them. I busted out of the door of the hotel, and I see them driving off in a construction truck. And I turn, and there's this 16-year-old kid that worked for the hotel. So I pulled the gun on him and said, hey, I need you to take me down and follow these guys. Um, that's kidnapping, in case you're wondering. But So <laughs> I, uh, I, I get him in the car, and I'm telling him, I have a kid your age. I'm not going to hurt you. I promise I'm going to hurt you, but you don't understand. These guys have been filming me, and that shit will not stand, and we're, I'm going to go confront him. And so he drives me down to this gas station, and, and there that construction truck is, and there's this big burly guy. He's filling up the truck, and I jump out of the kid's car. Well, I left my gun in the car, and he, he takes off and, you know, and, and calls the cops. So I, I run up to confront this guy, and I realize, oh, man, I don't have my gun. And this guy's big. But I, I was out of my mind, so I'm, I'm screaming at this dude every F you, and you've been recording me. And this guy's just looking at me, and he's like, dude, screw you, man. And I'm like, oh, yeah? So I grab the, the gas thing out of his tank, and I just start hosing him down. And... Uh, and uh, this, this man froze. He just froze. And I'm just shooting gas all over this guy. And, and I'm going to light him on fire, because how dare he. But I didn't have a lighter, thank God, at that, at that time. And, and right about then, the, the cops come in, and they get me. And, and then it's a little fuzzy. Like, I know I got booked into jail. But when I came to in jail, I thought that I'd been kidnapped. And I didn't realize that I was in jail. I'm still hallucinating badly. And uh, I see, this is a hallucination. I see them string up my buddy and kill him in front of me. And so when they went to do shift change, the guard came to let me out of the cell. And it just so happened that that night in this little jail, for whatever reason, he was by himself. So as he's transferring me to this other room, I decide, well, I'm going to kill this guy before he kills me. So I attack him, and I get him on the ground, and I'm, I'm trying to break his head on the cement, and that's not working. He's bleeding everywhere, and, and I jump up, and at the time there was those computers, you know, computers had those big cords. So I thought I would pull this monitor off and bash his head in with it, but the cord wouldn't let me get it off. And uh, he's trying to crawl away, and I jump back on top of him, and then the SWAT team comes in and... and uh, just beat me almost half to death. I mean, they, they, they beat me severely. Um, so I get out of jail. Uh, my dealer at the time had been sending this girl up to bail me out. And every time she got there, they're like, well, he's got another charge. He's got another charge. So she had to keep coming back with more money and more money. But she gets me out. And uh, they, they get me down to a psych ward. And... and uh, when I finally come to and realize that, that, you know, that this is all in my mind and uh, that I'm going to go to prison now, um, the reality of, of everything, uh, my wife had got a hold of me and says, well, I'm done. Like, we're, we're getting divorced. And uh, so I moved back in with my parents, and I had a cousin who owned a law firm at the time. And he told me if I could get clean, 
that he could push this trial out for a year, that I was going to go to prison, but we could probably get some of these charges dropped. And, and so I got back in the program of AA, and, and, uh, but it was just because I didn't want to go to prison. You know, I, I would go get my things signed, and, but I did stay clean for the year, and then when the time came, I did go to prison. Um, I did a little bit of time, but, but my prison sentence was communed, um, I had a four-year probational term with zero tolerance, and if I screwed up, I was going to do a minimum of five years. So when I got out of prison, I didn't like prison. I know some people do. I didn't particularly like it. I didn't want to go back. And so I'm living at my mom and dad's, and my youngest son decides that he wants to move in, and so he moves back in, and and I meet a girl, and uh, I just fell madly in love with this girl, and um, she kind of became my higher power. And, and so we, uh, we end up buying this big house, and I start a plumbing company. I get my dream truck. I, you know, I have this successful business. I'm clean for the four years because I've got probation showing up weekly and checking on me and, and everything. And, and we build a life together. And for, for four years, the only four years of my entire life, i got to be a dad. And uh, my oldest son moved back in with us. She had a daughter. And I, and I got to be a father for four years, and I, I will forever be grateful to her for that. You know, I, I really will. Um, but at, at four years after being clean for four years, um, I got off probation, and I was like, well, I think I can smoke pot because I never really was a pot addict. You know, I'm, I don't do good with crystal meth, and I have a drinking problem, but pot's never been an issue. So I started smoking pot. A couple weeks later, I was drinking again. Within about a month and a half, I was shooting up again. And uh, one night I came home, and she confronted me. And, and for whatever reason that night, I couldn't lie to her. And, and she said, you need to leave. And uh, she wanted me to get help. But at, but at that point, you know, I had that needle back in my arm. And, and it wasn't even a question. Because when I'm using... Nothing, you know, anything that comes in front of me using has got to go. And it's not personal, it's just business. It's just the way it is. Um, and, and so I, I got in my truck and I left that night and, uh, and I didn't look back. And, and, and I was heartbroken over it. Um, within a few months, I lost the plumbing company. I wrecked that truck. Um, I gambled away everything that I'd saved and uh, I started using heroin. Um, uh, once I started using heroin, then, I, then I, I was shooting up heroin and crystal meth. The first time, the first time I used heroin, I overdosed and, and died. Um, they had to hit me with Narcan four different times before I, before I came back to life. And uh, that didn't even phase me. I just figured, well, I did it wrong. And I got out of the hospital that night, and I went and got some more heroin and tried it again successfully this time. Um, and, uh, you know, right about then, I had pretty much burned every bridge that there was to burn in St. George. No one wanted me around anymore. My parents were heartbroken because, you know, they had seen me do good for four years. And, and my dad had co-signed for this truck that I had just wrecked. And, you know, he was still paying. He was the co-signer. I wasn't paying any payments anymore. And he was still paying on this truck that was wrecked. They didn't even know where it was. I didn't know where it was. And, uh, and so I moved down to Las Vegas, and 
through some people I knew, these, these people found out that I could cook crystal meth, so I moved into this kind of tweaker compound down in Vegas, and I started cooking crystal meth, and I got involved with some really, really bad people. And, uh, you know, the progression of the disease and, and things that we do, that, that's when that, that line, any sort of moral compass I had, just completely went out the window. And, and the things I did in Vegas, and you know, I did everything except kill someone. Um, myself, but I, I definitely was in rooms where people lost their lives. Um, and, and, and it was just a really bad situation, and I finally called my mom and dad, and I was like, you know, I think these people are going to kill me, like, legitimately, and, uh, and I need to get out of here. But they, they didn't want me to come home. And uh, my mom said, well, the, there's this place in Arizona that you can go. It's a rehab, and they'll take you. So I came down to Arizona six years ago on a Greyhound bus from Las Vegas with just a shirt and a backpack, you know, and, and I, I checked into TLC and Sunny Slope, which, yeah, you know, Sunny Slope is not the ideal place to get sober, if, if anyone really knows the, the area, but... So I, I was in Sunny Slope for about two weeks, and someone left some drugs out on the counter. I started using again and got kicked out of Sunny Slope. I was down here. I didn't know anyone, but I did get a plumbing job. And so I was living out of my plumbing van, and, uh, and I was working. And, and so over the next few years, I would work for a place for a while. Then I would, you know, go to a rehab I would get clean, and I would get a job, I would start doing good, and then I would start using again, and I would burn that bridge, and, and uh, I ended up robbing one of the companies I was working for and picked up 16 felonies, and Arizona decided that they wanted me to live here for a while. <laughs> so so uh, I couldn't leave the state, couldn't go back home. Um, at this point, I hadn't talked to my kids in years Hadn't seen my parents, and uh, one day I got a phone call from my son, and he said, Dad, you know, out of the blue, I don't even know, to this day I don't know how he got my number, he said, Dad, I'm getting married, Um, can you come to my wedding? And I was like, yeah, bud, I I would love to come to your wedding, but I I don't know if I can make it, because I don't know if I can get the drugs on the plane that I need to, and I'm on probation, but I'll try to get there. And that was the, that's the wedding that I showed you the picture from. And I had decided that I was going to go to that wedding and I was going to say goodbye to my family. I was just done, you know. I just was done. I didn't like using anymore. I hated myself. So I went up to this wedding and, and that was the plan. I pretty much said goodbye to everyone. And, and the day before I left, my oldest son pulled me aside and said, Hey, Dad, you're going to be a grandpa. And that, you know, that honestly saved my life um, because I wanted to see my granddaughter get born. But past that, I didn't want to be alive anymore. So I just, in my mind, this just postponed what the inevitable solution for me, which was death. And, and, and I, knew, I knew that I wanted to die. I didn't want to live this way anymore. But I did want to see this grandkid, and I'd made it this far. And... Uh, one of, you know, one of the things I, I don't tell you is, is, as I grew up, there was, there was seven of us that grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, we were best friends. We went through high school together and, and 
got married and, and all that things. And I'm the, I'm the only one left out of all my friends. I've buried every single one of them. Um, and that's the reality of this disease. So I came back and uh, still, still throughout that, that period of time, um, I had nine different overdoses. I remember after one particular overdose, my father came to me and he said, Jared, you know, you know, tears in his eyes, he said, you know, it would be better for me and your mother, it would be better for your kids, and it would be better for you if you just died. And, uh, and I was like, I know, Dad, what do you think I'm trying to do? And uh, he said, well, you know, maybe you should figure out another way to go about it. And, that, you know, I think that was just his way of, of saying, I don't want to see you hurt anymore, but I don't think you're ever going to get better. And, uh, and I know he believed that at the time. And, and uh, you know, as I look back on that, I'm sure that was a hard thing for him to say. But I don't know how I would feel as a father if, if my kids went through what I had gone through. My kids haven't used drugs or alcohol. They, uh, they saw their father and, and their mother is also an alcoholic. And, and I thank God that they haven't had to go through that. But uh, um, so at, at some point... Uh, I was living with my best friend who's here tonight, and uh, he's got the same clean date, November 4th, 2020. He got in trouble with the law and had to go to a rehab and convince me that I should go with him. And we did everything together. We worked together. We used together. And, and so I was like, all right, you know, let's go. So we, we checked into Unhooked, and I don't know what it was. It was the 13th time that I had been to rehab. Um, I'd heard everything they had to say in rehabs, you know, um, but, but what happened was one night there was an H&I meeting and this kid came in and, and for whatever reason that night, that kid just, I, I identified with him. And, and until that point, I'd always felt like it's all great that, you know, this stuff works for you, but you haven't had the things happen to you that have happened to me and you don't use the way I use so maybe it works for you, but it's not going to work for me. I'm happy for you, and that's great, but that's not a reality for me. But this, this night, you know, for whatever reason, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this can work. So I went to my room that night, and I, and I hit my knees, and I just said, you know, God, if you're up there, either fix me or kill me, because I don't want to go on like this anymore. I can't do it. And uh, I didn't get some big... You know, I didn't see some bright light or anything, but, but I just had this thought in my mind, just do what they say. I remember thinking that really clear, just do what they say. So the next day I woke up and I, and I read the big book and I, and I thought, well, maybe I'll give this a chance. And when I checked into that rehab, at the time I had been with a girl for two years who was also an addict and uh, she hadn't wanted to go to rehab. So I did the 30 days there and I got out and... I had to end that relationship with her because I really wanted it to work. But I didn't know that it would. I really didn't. I was so sick and, you know, I really wanted to see my granddaughter and I, and I had 30 days under me. And because of just the way that I believe, heaven, you know, my, my God, my higher power was looking out for me, I had the opportunity to not go right back to work. So I had some time. And I, I started going to meetings, and I just, 
met some really good people. One of the, one of the guys I met is in this room. I went to this men's AA meeting, and, and I thought, I don't know if I fit in here. I'm this junkie that can't keep a needle out of his arm. And this guy came up to me and, and hugged me, and I thought, you know, like, that's a cool feeling. That was a cool feeling to just feel welcomed by another man, you know, and, uh, and, and that meant the world to me. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go back to that meeting next Sunday. So I, I went to that meeting again, and, and that's the meeting I go to every week, and it's a Sunday meeting, men's stag at West, West uh, Valley there, and, and I love that meeting. Um, I also go to an NA meeting on, on Monday nights, and I do H&I at Copper Springs. I have a sponsor. I've worked the steps. I have a sponsee now. Um, because of this program, I was able to go hold my granddaughter completely stone-cold sober. And uh, unlike her uh, father or my other son, you know, I, I was able and I have been able to see that little girl completely clean and sober every time that I've seen her. Um, today I have a relationship with both my sons. They both call me frequently. Um, I text my dad often and uh, when I hit 18 months a few weeks ago, my dad was one of the first ones to text me in the morning and say, I'm proud of you. I never thought that this, you know, that this would, I never thought that you would get it. I never thought that you'd be better. We, me and my mom, me and your mother both thought that we would bury you. And, uh, you know, the, the, the program works. The blessings that I have received from this program, I, I never had any clue when I got clean. There are so many things that have happened to me that I didn't even know that I wanted or that I didn't even know were in store for me. Um, a year and a half ago, I didn't have any teeth. I'm, like I said, I'm a meth user. Most of my teeth were gone. And uh, a dentist in Goodyear heard my story, and he did like $23,000 worth of work. So I, I have teeth now, and that's, <laughs> that's an awesome blessing that I owe to this program. Um, I get to come and talk to other addicts and alcoholics, and, and I know... For me, that every good thing I have in my life today I owe to this program. And I also know that it is only going to take one bad decision and I will willingly give it all away. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hear people talk sometimes about losing things. I never lost anything. I freely gave it away. As soon as, as, soon as I had drugs or alcohol in my body, I will give Everything I own and, and every decision, it says, you, you know, jump, I will say how high. It completely controlled my life. Um, today, I don't live that way. Today, I live by, a, you know, spiritual principles. Today, I'm actually happy, you know. And about a year in, I realized that I had always kept my toothbrush in the shower. And the reason was is I never wanted to look in the mirror and see my reflection because I hated that guy looking back at me. Today I brush my teeth in the mirror. You know, I like having teeth, but, but that's not the thing. The thing is today I love that reflection. I love who I am today. And uh, I have a lot of regrets, and that's, that's part of the deal. That's part of going through the steps. Um, you know, step four we get to, to, you know, in step five we get to, you know, get rid of a lot of that stuff. And I have been able to get rid of a lot of that stuff. I've been able to forgive the man that molested me because... I don't know what his deal was. I don't know what happened to him in his life, but I forgive him, you know. Uh, um, 
And I couldn't have done that without the program. And, uh, and I can forgive myself. And, and I know that, that the kind of addict that I was, I was a hopeless addict. I should have died from this disease, but I'm here today. And it's because of this program. And I thank God for it every day. Um, I'm grateful that I can come and speak in a place like this. And, you know, if you're here today, you're a miracle. I don't know you guys' story, but if you're sitting in here today, like, you're a miracle because you're here. And for this last hour and a half, you didn't use and you didn't get high. That's a miracle. You know, it really is. Um, I love this program. I will be an addict and an alcoholic the rest of my life. And uh, it's up to me to do the things that I need to do to keep that at bay. But every morning I wake up, I am an alcoholic and a junkie. And if I don't treat that each day, I will go back to the way I was. And I don't ever want to go back to that. For me, I don't think I have another chance. I just, I don't think, I think the next relapse would be the end of me. And so I can't afford to have another relapse. Um, I love all you guys. Thank you for letting me speak tonight. That's all I have. (laughs) 